Hi everyone, welcome to Breakthrough in Singapore podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tan Biwan, Chairman of Integrative Learning Corporation. On this episode, we are going to dive into Breakthrough on Accountability to Stakeholders. This is a very important part of the 224 brand new code of governance when it's being implemented. And the key message there is how do you hold your accountability as a charity that uses public money and to how you are going to put it out on a transparency manner in your annual reports to all the donors. So in 2025, this is going to be mandatory for all charities to compliance. So what does this mean, you ask? Well, it's a game changer. And that is why I'm inviting Dr. Isabel Sim, a very experienced finance trainer and consultant for nonprofits organizations. Isabel has more than 20 years of experiences from teaching, researching, and the main author for many of the financial books on good corporate governance in Singapore. More importantly, Isabel, Isabel is very passionate in working with both small and large charities on how they build their accountability to stakeholders to demonstrate good stewardship. This will then enable you to expand your services and to help as many people as possible. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you, Biwan, for having me here. Hi, everybody. I'm Isabel. Just a little background about myself. I'm trained first as a medical social worker and from the National University of Singapore. Upon graduation, I actually went to work at the community chest. It is when there that I realized that my clinical training is insufficient to do the administrative work at the charity sector. When my family migrated to Australia in the late 90s, I actually continued my education in the business administration and finance. And gradually, I ended off there with a PhD in finance. When I adopted my child in the 2000s, who was hearing impaired, I started to work with charities again. It is at that time that I realized that many of the charities are struggling financially and they do not have the skills to make themselves financially sustainable. So I've decided that I will move my area of work from the private sector to the charity sector. I've started to do the past 10 years in researching in the area of financial management and governance for the charity sector. And I've written many books. Thanks so much, Isabel, for sharing this. So as many of you will have now known, that Isabel is not only sharing the knowledge and the practices, but it is a heart that guides the work that she's doing. So it is very important as many of you sign up to be in the charity sector because of your passion and most important because your heart tells you that that is what you want to spend your life in. So Isabel, share with us what must the charity do 
in order to strive under this new code? And what has changed? And what must they do to adhere to the new standards? Thank you, B1. The first change that you need to note is that there will no longer be multiple tiers. Instead, the charity will be classified into tier one, which is small and medium non-IPCs charities. And the other charities will then fall under tier two, which is all IPCs and large non-IPC status charities with more than 10 million budget. The next key thing that you need to note of the code 2024 is that this code is principle-based. There are six principles in the new code. The six principles are principle one. The charity serves its mission and achieve its objective. Principle two, the charity has an effective board and management. Principle three, the charity acts responsibly, fairly, and with integrity. Principle four, the charity is well-managed and plans for the future. Principle five, the charity is accountable and transparent. Principle six, the charity communicates actively to instill public confidence. Six principles requires six podcasts. <laughs> okay, so in the interest of time, since we only have 30 minutes, Isabel, share with us, out of these six principles, which are the ones that is the most important that you want to cover with us today? I would like to cover the most important two principles, the baseline, which is principle five, the charity is transparent and accountable. Principle six, that the charity communicates actively to instill public confidence. Every year, the charities are required to submit compliance requirement documents. These documents include your annual report, your finance, audited financial statements, and your governance evaluation checklist, which is the GEC. For the purposes of this discussion, I would like to focus on Tier 2 charities, which is charities with IPC status and non-IPC status charity that is operating at more than 10 million. All these charities are now required to submit their GEC, which is being scored. For Tier 2 charities, they have now got to answer 38 questions. And for the 38 question, for IPC charities, they need to score 80% in order to have their IPC status renewed. So Isabel, share with us then, why is this IPC status so important? Firstly, the IPC status actually provides the charity with two key advantages. Firstly, with the IPC status, the charity is able to give any of the donor a tax exam receipt. So, for example, if a corporation is going to give you $1 million, you are able to give them a tax exam receipt of $2.5 million. And that indeed is very helpful in helping the charity to get gather more public donation. More importantly, is that with the IPC status, the charity qualifies for additional government grant. For many of the government grants require the charity to have IPC status. So if you do not have an IPC status or your IPC status has lapsed, 
it will be very challenging for you to continue to maintain the same group of donors who has been receiving tax exempt receipt or to continue receiving grants from the government. Right. And Isabel, can you share with us some examples of charities that has their IPC being withheld? Because in your consultancy work, okay, I'm very sure you must have worked with both big and large charities. I would start with a small charity. There's Recently, I have just worked with a small charity and they are due to renew their IPC status very quick soon. And when I started working with them, actually, the board and the management lacks the understanding in terms of what is required in the GEC. And we have to work very hard to get all the policies and all the compliance in place so that they're able to renew their IPC status. All these documents must be ready three months in advance before the renewal of their IPC. If they are unable to renew their IPC, they will lose many of their donors who give on a monthly basis. These donors have signed up so that they can qualify for the tax exam receipt. So if they have their IPC status lapsed, they will suffer in their financials because donation will drop. Yes, and the donations is not just only from the individual donors or from foundations, but it means a lot, especially if you're small charities, the government fundings that you get for your essential services. And you remember, Isabel, when we were talking and we were working, sometimes a charity that has like more than 50 years of services and being a registered charity for 50 years, they still have the IPC labs. Yeah, for this particular charity, they were not able to have their IPC status renew because they did not submit the necessary or required documents. And one of such documents is the anti-money laundering and counter-financing of terrorist document. So all charities actually need to look in their GEC list closely and make sure that they have all the documents in place so that when they are renewing their IPC status, they are not in a hurry and that they can get their compliance up to 80% and have their IPC status renewed. Right. And I was also told that even very big um, charities in Singapore that could be you know, operating like 80 million per year because they run a whole integrated level of services could also be having problems with the renewal of their IPC. And so share with me, Isabel, um, the first one that we talk about is an organization that uh, laps because of their anti-money laundering documents. And we're not talking about a checklist. Huh? We're talking about documents. So you have to take a look at your documents. Okay. So we know that that is, to many of us in the charity, we're doing good. So the last thing that will happen in our minds is to think that we're anti-money <laughs> laundering, right? So what about charities that has like 80 years of services, I mean, that spent 80 millions, still have it left? What happened in this case? For a lot of the larger and older charity, they have a legacy problem, and that is many of their founders continue to sit on the board. 
with the new Code of Governance 2024 in place, charities have to explain why their board members have stayed on for more than 10 years. And this is an important principle that we need to know, that for all charities, they need to have a very good succession planning for their board. So I remembered that when I first started working with the charities in 1970s, all board members and volunteers are encouraged to serve as long as possible. The motto, in fact, is never say yes to volunteerism. It is like a marriage vow. So the longer they served with the charity, it shows that they are very committed. And so, honestly, in the work that we do, Isabel, you know that it takes you more than three years, at least three years, to understand what the charity does, how the services help people, and how to work together as a board. And since volunteers have full-time jobs and uh, limited bandwidth, how do we expect them to be able to, you know, uh, stop their volunteering? And some of them, I know that the chairmen of all of these boards have served very long. So were these current terms and GEC prevents people from volunteering and serving on the board? The Commissioner's Office has already provided some guidelines to assist the charities in facing this dilemma. And that is, for example, if the board member has already served 10 years, these board members could actually have a two-year break and then be reappointed after the two-year break. Alternatively, the board member could serve four years and have a break and then be reappointed again. Or, in the worst-case scenario, if the board has served 10 years, they could have a vote or election and then serve another term. But this has to be explained and reported in the annual report. Thank you. So this is actually very, it's a very good principle because it's going to help the board to be very careful in the selection of its board members. So it's not just, uh, you know, who you know and who are your friends. Okay, so you've got to have a purpose behind every board member and you've got to look at also their tenure on the board. And so I thought that, you know, on hindsight, this is actually a very good way of being able to successfully recruit board members, use their services and also to for them to bring in new blood because the whole landscape of charity work are changing rapidly. And so Isabel, what are the um, principles that is very important out of these six? I think the next principle that is of importance is that the charity is well-managed and plans for the future. That will be principle four. And it is actually focusing on risk management, crisis management, and financial management. And in particular, the new code actually recommends that the charity has an ESG policy, which is environment, social, and governance. This is a new item in the Code of Governance. At the present moment, it is going to be a soft touch, but all charities need to start thinking about what they can do about the ESG policy. Charities should start to think about it, have a budget for it, implement it, and lastly, Reported as it is part of the requirement. Right. 
And I remember that when you were working with the charities, and when we first conduct this risk management and crisis management forces, we find that actually a lot of the charities have a risk management register, but it's locked away in somewhere. And then they forget to actually say, hmm, when do we renew it? You know, our services have changed, but have we renewed it? Yeah. So a lot of time, you know, I think that charities are so preoccupied with doing the good work that they forget to open up the drawer and see does the risk management register still serve the purposes that they are doing. And the same thing with when it comes to crisis management. They usually have a very small document on that because a lot of them feel that when it comes to crisis, the MSF will step up first because they got to inform the relevant ministry. Then the relevant ministry will be the one to explain the crisis. So therefore, they don't have to deal with it as much. And so that is why sometimes, you know, they don't think of crisis as very important. But I think, as you said, that if you do uh, risk management, you must support it with crisis because when the risk management falls, the crisis happens. And when the crisis happens, your money comes from the public. You must reinstall the public confidence as soon as possible so that they will continue funding us. Yes. And what about the final area of the six pillars that you think is very important for us to know? I think principle one, principle two, and principle three, which actually touched on the mission, vision, and the board and management understanding what is required of them is very important. All staff should actually have a very good understanding of the vision and mission of the organization and that there is actually good working relationship between the board and the management and that their core values are in place so that they are able to carry out their good work. I'm so glad that this area is now one of the key principles because a lot of time the charities would have a vision that is very broad and then it does not get translated into their mission. And that is very important because your aspiration must be translated into the mission that is your work. And then your core value is the operating system on how you do your work. So I thought that this principle is being included now in the six areas is a really good way of making sure that the services that we deliver for the people in need meets with the changing times and that the values that we uphold creates the empowerment for both the staff and our beneficiaries. And before we wrap up, uh, Isabel, are there any other key points that you would like to bring forward to our listeners? I think while I was working with the charity, I realised a lot of them do not have the understanding of financial sustainability for the charities. More often than not, they are very concerned about their work that they are doing for their clients. And they often overlooked and fail to store up enough reserved of two years so that they can continue to do their good work. Financial management is a key skill and it is necessary so that the charity has its financial resources to do and carry out the work they intend to do. So there you are, dear listeners, the key points to master good accountability, 
on behalf of financial stewardship to your donors in Singapore. So remember, the new sets of the new code of governance is about making a real difference to people's lives, both the donors and both the beneficiary. And thank you so much, Isabel, for your comprehensive sharing, insights and examples. Thank you, B1, for having me here. Now, before we wrap up, let's take a moment to appreciate the incredible work done by our charitable organisation and the tireless efforts of their dedicated teams. Let's come together as a community to support their mission, ensuring that every dollar donated goes a long way towards building a brighter future for those in need. Now, if you want to stay connected, do follow us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes and go to the Integrative website to discover practical financial courses that Isabel is working with you to stay vibrant in your work. Regardless of small or large charities and all this, Isabel is always ready to reach out to you and to help you to be financially viable over the years. And before we sign off, there are three things that I'd like you to do. One, if you have any thoughts on today's topic, or have a suggestion for a specific breakthrough that you'd like to see in Singapore, feel free to share it with us on our website at integrative.com.sg. And we invite you to share this podcast with your friends and families. Through them, we can introduce new audiences to participate in Breakthrough so as to strengthen our social compact and our work. Until next Wednesday, keep making a positive impact and remember together we can change the world. Wishing you all a blessed weekend.